We're going to continue in Luke chapter 19. I titled the message, The Nobleman Will Return. Jesus shares a parable about a nobleman, nobleman going to a far country, but he will return. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas. So he delivered one mina to each servant. And said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities." And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. So he's saying again to him, Well done, you will now be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which, you, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minus. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. You know, it's amazingly, Jesus gave us a very clear reason for the purpose of this parable, for the purpose of this teaching. He gave a very clear reason to those who was hearing him that day. Because, he says, because he was drawing near Jerusalem. Or the writer says, because I was drawing near Jerusalem. He knew that his time was coming to an end on this earth. He knew that the time for that which he came was coming to a close. He knew that he was going to be... Uh, you know, he would go into Jerusalem and they would all be shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He knew that he would, there would be a mock trial, that he would be sentenced to be put to death on a cruel cross. He knew that that time was coming. He knew also, because he says, because they thought the kingdom of God would come immediately. They thought it was going to be right then and there that Jesus Christ was going to deliver them from Rome he was going to set up his kingdom and rule over the people. So that is why he gives them this parable. Because he knew that that was their thinking. He knew. So he let them know it's not going to happen now. 
You know, it's not going to happen in the next week or the next month, but it's going to be in the future. That's what the parable is saying. The king is going to a far land, a distant land, letting them know it's going to be a long time before he returns. But when he does return, he will establish his kingdom. The Lord wants us, his people, to know his plans, to understand. Psalms 32.8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will guide you with my eyes. God does instruct us, and God's people instruct people that we can know God's plans. But let's identify some of the who's and the what's from our parable today, from our passage. Of course, the nobleman that's going to go off to a far country equals Jesus. Jesus Christ is that nobleman. He is the one who after His death, burial, and resurrection, and after He ascends to the Father, He's going into that far country. Well, friends, that far country is the third heaven. He has went to be with the Father. He is there today. Right now, today, He is still there at the right hand of the Father. He ascended to the Father. He has received authority and power, all authority and power, He told the disciples, all authority and power has been given unto Him. He is with the Father, but He is just waiting. We kind of talk Wednesday night about redeeming, redeeming the time. He is waiting until the Father says it it is time. But until that time, He is waiting, but He will come back after the fulfillment of this period of grace in which we are living in. But there is one certainty that each and every one of us needs to know. We are the people hearing that message. We are. Because He is now away. He's at that far country receiving that kingdom. He is speaking it not only to those people that was living in that time period, those that heard that message then with their own ears, but He's saying it to each and every one of us who hear that message preached, who read that message for themselves. We are those people hearing that message that the nobleman, the master, Jesus Christ, went to that far country, but He is returning. He is going to return. He has given them that mina. He has given us a mina. We're going to get to that in a moment, what that represents. A pastor shared a story where he was having a recurring dream. And in this dream, he was in college. And it was very near the end of a semester. And all of a sudden, the pastor realizes that he had not been attending any of the classes for any of the classes for this one particular class that he was registered for. And the exams were a couple days away. So he knew that this was not going to go well. He had, he had not attended any class. He had not prepared. He knew nothing about the class. And here comes the examination just a couple days away. Well, fortunately, he wakes up in a panic, but then he realizes it's a dream. So he's relieved, right? Wow, I knew I was going to fail that exam. But here's the point. What if this is a true life situation and not college? We're not talking about a college class, but friends, the end of the age. Think about that for a moment. The end of the age that we know is coming. That nobleman is coming back and there's going to be an examination. What happened when the noblemen returned? Bring those servants of mine, and let's see what they have done 
with the mina that I've given them, how have they traded? What have they done for my kingdom? It's real. This is not a nightmare that you're going to wake up from and go, whew, glad that wasn't real. It is real. Jesus Christ is real. God is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And He is coming back one day. We don't know when that day is going to be. But we know. We know that He is going to return. We know He's receiving that kingdom. And we know that when He does come back, you know they were wanting Him to usher in His kingdom then. But that was not His intent for coming at that time period. His intent to come was to seek and save that which was lost. But there is coming a day when He will come back and establish His kingdom upon this earth. We are living in a form of His kingdom now because we have the Holy Spirit and the church. You know, we're a part of that kingdom. But there will be a further fulfillment of the true kingdom when He comes and establishes it upon this earth where there will be 100% obedience, 100% faithfulness to Him. There will be no disobedience. None whatsoever. There will be no evil present in His kingdom. So here we are today, we're living in this form of His kingdom, but there's evil present, is there not? There is, each and every day. Just turn on the news. But please don't watch it too long, because it affects you. But God, in His graciousness, He gives us a fair warning. My friends, this parable is a fair warning. He doesn't want to destroy those that are unfaithful. He wants us to be faithful to Him. He's saying there's an examination coming. Prepare. Prepare. He wants us to be doing His will, working for His kingdom while He is gone, while He is away. We are not supposed to sit around, twiddle our thumbs, and do nothing for the kingdom of God. We were kind of talking about that in Sabbath school, right? What are we doing as a church? Let's do something. Let's do something. The nobleman gave each one one mina. A mina equals about three months' wages for an agricultural worker. So it's not a great amount. Not a huge sum of money. So he gives them a small amount just to see what are they going to do with it. Are they going to be faithful? You know, there's another parable where he gives the servants talents. But it's a little bit different than this parable. These are definitely not the same parable. They're different. The parable of the talents is later on. So in the parable of the talents, he gives them a different amount, it says, upon their abilities. But here, each one is given one mina, a small amount. So it's not really important about the amount, but the importance is what they did with it. What they did with it. He told them to do business until I come. The King James Version says to occupy until I come. Business, the Greek word for business is pragmatioe. Probably did not pronounce that right, but it means to busy oneself. It is to trade. We are to busy ourselves for His kingdom, not for our own pleasure. That's not what He's telling us. Go see how much money you can earn that you can buy you anything you want. Is not what He's telling us to do. But he's saying, be busy for my kingdom, help increase my kingdom for his glory, trade. You know, put my money to work. It doesn't get any plainer than that. That's what Jesus, the nobleman, is saying, put my money to work for me. 
He didn't tell them how to do it. He didn't say, I want you to do it this way. He just says, trade with it. You know, they could have went and purchased lumber and built something and sold it and made more. They could have purchased property and sold it and made an increase. They could have, whatever creativeness they could have thought of, they could have used to earn money for His kingdom. He didn't say, I want you to do it this way. But however you do it, try to earn a profit for my kingdom. They were supposed to have kingdom mindset, not selfish mindsets, right? So that when I come back, you can give me what we have made. But what, what happened? You've been faithful in a little, you're going to be put in charge of much, right? Amen. It's interesting that he said to them, though, the unfaithful servant, why did you not at least put it in the bank? You know, if it would have drawn just a little bit of interest, he would have heard the same thing as the others. Well done. Well done. If he would have only gained one more mina, or even a half a mina, he would have been working towards expanding his kingdom. Just a small amount. It doesn't have to be a great amount that we do. So never think, I don't have enough. I can't do this. I can't do something as big and as glorious as that other guy over there. That's not what's important. The important thing is, you are busy with a small amount. If it's a small amount that you've received, be faithful with it. Even if you only deposit a little bit in the bank to draw a little bit of interest, your work for Him is not fruitless if you are working for Him and not for yourself. Amen? A small amount. 1 Corinthians 5, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a good word. Last week I talked about praying without ceasing, but now we're always to abound in the work of the Lord. So we're going to pray. Of course, that's work. Amen. As I said last week, but always be abounding in the work of the Lord, and it will not be in vain. As I spoke about the parable in Matthew, the talents, it is given to servants with different abilities. I'm not going to read the whole thing as part of it. I'm just going to read verse 15. And to one... Well, let me read 14 also. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. So there is some very similarities in these passages. Traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own abilities. And immediately he went on his journey. Of course, when he came back, same thing. What did you do with the talents that I delivered unto you? But the minas, they were all given the same amount. Same amount. The key is, were they faithful? You know, there were three different types of people mentioned in the parable. He gave the minas to ten, but they only used three to get the point across. So the first one is the faithful servants. The faithful ones are the ones who did business earned an increase for his kingdom. Secondly, we have the unfaithful servant, the one who takes the mina, hid it away. If you look at the parable of the talent, he dug a hole and buried it, right? Mm -hmm. But they were unfaithful because he says, I feared you. You were an austere man. I was afraid of you. Well, 
Why didn't you, if you knew that, if you had that wisdom, why didn't you do something with it, right? But he didn't. But also, there's, don't forget the third. We kind of might read through this and forget the third. There were the enemies. That's right. The enemies of the kingdom. So really, you have those three today on the world. You have in the world, not on the world. You have those that are faithful. You have the unfaithful. And you have those that are the outright enemies right. of the cross today. Let's begin with the third. Let's begin with the enemies and we'll work our way to the faithful. The enemies are the ones identified in verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. It's very interesting that oftentimes in Jesus' parables, which is a parallel of what could be a real life occurrence, is something that they were very, very familiar with. You know, oftentimes he would use uh, sheep in his parable. They understood that. There was a lot of shepherds back then. He will use farming. You know, you go out sowing the seed. They understood that. There was a lot of farming back then. So he spoke to them in things that were familiar to them that they would understand. So we read this passage today, and you might think, well, they might understand the mind, but what about this part about the enemies and the delegation? they would have understood that. It was something that they also was very familiar with. Because in that day, we know that they were ruled by Rome. Who, ru who, ruled? who ruled Rome? Caesar Augustus, right? Caesar ruled Rome, but Caesar also had other, we're going to call them kings, they were like uh, lesser kings, if you will. Might want to call them governors, whatever you want to call them, but he would set up other kings in other regions because... He was re-ruling a large part of the world. So, at, before this time, Herod was ruling the area of Judea, Samaria, and all those areas. Well, Herod, of course, he called himself, he was called Herod the Great. He gave himself that name, right? <laughs> he did. He gave himself that name. So, Herod, Herod died. Well, four days before his death, King Herod changed his will to make Archelaus the heir to his kingdom instead of Antipas. So after he died, Archelaus, Antipas, and their half-brother Philip traveled to Rome. They went to a far country to petition Caesar. They were arguing over their father's will. Who was going to be in charge? So what did he do? He divided it up. He gave Archelaus about half... Archelaus was over Samaria, Judea, and Endemia, and I don't know how you even pronounce it. Huh? Endumia. Endumia. Over Endumia. Gary knows. Okay. So he divides it up, but Augustus did not give Archelaus the title king. Instead, he was going to call him an ethnarch, which means ruler of an ethnic group. The promotion to king would follow if he proved himself able. So Archelaus, at one point in his reign, which wasn't real long, he lost control of a crowd of Jews that had gathered for Passover, and he massacred 3,000 of them in and around the temple. So the Jews sent a delegation to Rome to petition Caesar, we do not want this man ruling over us. You see how that ties into today's parable? They were familiar with that. They were familiar 
We do not want this man ruling over us. That's the delegation that went. In Philippians 3, 17 through 19, it says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Friends, there has always been enemies of the cross, enemies of God. We are to work for His kingdom while we are living amongst those that are enemies of the message of, cross, of the cross, the message of Christ. While we're living amongst them. And I know last week I think I might have said that Rosanna might have or somebody was looking at my notes and I think David might have had my notes this week. I don't know. He talked about what the Supreme Court did this past week. On Monday, the Supreme Court passed a ruling that clearly attacks the moral values of God's people. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. I was actually listening to this on the radio and they were sharing it and looked at just a little bit. But the Supreme Court, those that, you know, we feel that the president has put in place that people that we thought would be conservative, that would make decisions that would kind of be in line with what God's morals are. That did not happen. It did not happen Monday. Let me just tell you where it came from. There was a lawsuit between a transgender employee and a funeral home. This transgender employee, when this funeral home hired this person, was a man. They hired him as a man. Somewhere along the line, he decided he was a woman. He didn't, I don't even think he had a sex change. He decided he was a woman, so he starts dressing as a woman. So you have this man dressed in high heels and a dress, and he's there greeting mourners as they come to mourn the loss of their loved one. So the funeral home thought it was their best interest to fire this individual. So he takes them to court, sues them, it goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says, or gave him the, the, the victory, they gave it to the man that sued the funeral home, said that they cannot, well, actually, I guess I should put it this way. I guess they took it in their hands to decide who was male and female. That um, you're not going to just particularly, if you're born a man, doesn't mean you're now a man. You can say in your own mind that you're a woman. That's basically what the Supreme Court done. We cannot define sex, is what the Supreme Court said. My friends, do you understand the, how, what this opens up? Justice Alito laid out the potential consequences from the ruling that was handed down Monday. He says this is what could happen in the future in our nation. It could be the end of sex-specific bathrooms and locker rooms in our schools. If you have teenage children, do you want your teenage daughter to be put in a place where there could be a teenage male going into the shower room with your daughter? My friends, it could happen because of what happened Monday in our nation. It could allow biological men to compete in women's sports, earning the scholarships that were set aside for women. It could be lawsuits against colleges that refuse assigned sex student roommates. It could be punishment for churches who require employees to adhere to biblical models of human sexuality. 
Because the biblical model is found in Genesis 5, 1 and 2. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, He made him in His likeness, in the likeness of God. He, my friends, God. It says He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. The Supreme Court last week said, I guess we decide. But God decides. God made them. And I say this with compassion. They're confused. They need to know that we are what God made us. We are what God made us. Allow God to use you the way He made you is, is, my, is my prayer. But boy, do we need to pray for our nation. We've been praying, talking about that, haven't we? A lot in the last couple weeks. You are what God created you to be and be all that God wants you to be. If God created you to be a man, be a man. If God created you to be a woman, please be a woman. Be what God created you to be. That's God's morals. We are to follow His morals and His plan and His design Amen. for the church. Amen. So there may come a day where we have to, I'm going to obey God and not the rule of the land. Let's move on to the unfaithful person. The unfaithful person represents a servant who hid the mina, hid it away in a handkerchief and did nothing with it. Charles Spurgeon says, we must either make progress or else lose what we have attained. Amen. There is no such thing as standing still in religion. Amen. There is no such thing as standing still in religion. The unfaithful are those really who profess to be Christian, but they don't hold the same aspirations that our Lord Jesus Christ holds because they are not working to increase His kingdom. They may look good on the outside, but they don't have a heart for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 1-5 says, If therefore my son, or you therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me and among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. That's why I picked this passage. Faithful men who will be able to teach others. Also you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not one or no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. I believe there might have been one of the answers to the questions in Sabbath school, right? No one engaged in warfare and God's warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. My friends, the rules are, the rules are clearly stated this morning. Jesus says, because, right? Do business for His kingdom. Amen. That is the rules, that we do business, that we increase His kingdom. Amen. The unfaithful servant said, I knew that you were an austere man, a hard man, severe. My friends, that's not the way we should envision God but we should envision God as a just God because any punishment that is dealt out by God is just. Amen. It is fair because He has given us warning. He's given us ample opportunity to come to Him, to be faithful to Him. 
Each one had the same opportunity. And each of us had the same opportunity with the mind that we receive to be faithful. The parable in Matthew, the one that was unfaithful, he calls Matthew 25, 24-28. I'm not sure if we had that passage. We did, so I'll go ahead and read it. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy servant. My friends, that is not something we want to hear at the end of the time. You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take that talent from him and give it to him who has ten. My friends, we don't want him to take back what he has given us, what he has sown into us. He has given us salvation. He has given us faith. Let's do something with it. We don't want to hear, you wicked, lazy servant, but we want to hear, well done. Well done. So let's look at the faithful servant. The servant who had who had done business for him while he was gone. He was rewarded for their faithfulness. He was rewarded. As I said earlier, he only needed to have three servants. I mean, use the example of three because there was only the three different types of people. The master commends the servant who did what he was commanded to do to gain to gain for His kingdom. You know, have you ever noticed in our natural lives that those who are faithful workers, let's just go into the natural workplace I'm talking about, those who are truly hard workers, faithful workers, what do they usually get rewarded with? More work. More work. work. There's a saying at work is they'll beat the horse that works the hardest. They do. They do. I mean, over my 40 and a half years career, I have seen guys that they're lazy. They are just flat out lazy. There's no other way to put it. So they just don't give them much work because they know that they're not going to get any work out of them. They don't expect much. And then there are those, and there's a few today that work there. I'm telling you, they are extremely hard workers. And their reward is they get the hardest and most work. They do, because they know that they are going to work for the betterment of the company. They know that if they give them three locomotives to work on, there's a good chance they're going to get all three locomotives fixed and back out there working, increasing the company, right? We want to be that worker for the kingdom of God. The one that works hard. The one, I don't, you can be the one that works the most, but work hard. But whether it's doing a little or doing a lot, make sure that our lives, the mina that you have been given. My friends, I believe with all my heart that that's what the mina represents. It is the life that you have been given. It's the life that I have been given. That's the mina. We've each been given life. What are we doing with it? Are we using our lives to increase His kingdom For His glory. Is that what we're doing with the life that God has given us? 
Every one of us who has breath, we have it because God is faithful to give it to us. Every morning I wake up and we have breath, Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for life today. Thank you for the blood that flows through this heart and keep this body going. But I, am I using what he has given me, the life that he has given me for him? Are we using it for his kingdom, for his glory? That nobleman, my friends, is going to return. Amen. As I've said, I know I've already said it a few times, there's going to be an examination. And you are not going to stand there and say, well, what about that one there? I mean, he didn't do anything either. You know, we might try that. We might have tried that in school. It don't work that way. Because God is just. When you stand before him, it's going to be you and him. That's it. You're not going to be judged according to what your daddy did. You're not going to be judged according to what your mama did. You're not going to be judged according to what your friend did. It's you. What have you done with the mina, with the life that God has given you? I pray that we are using it for His kingdom, to expand His kingdom, because that's, it was, the message couldn't get any clearer today than that parable. Even a little bit of increase. Well done. Well done, faithful servant. So let's ensure that we are working for His kingdom and the increase of His kingdom. Amen?